0: we 've been talking about joy, and uh, we 've been spending our time reflecting on on the persistent theme of joy and we have this this sense that the gospel itself ought to be contagious, that there ought to be an enthusiasm that is written large. Uh, on the faces of people. It ought to be undeniable and and unquenchable. And that doesn't mean that there isn't just a a pack of of lousy stuff that happens in the world and even in our lives. But, But is there this deeper undercurrent of joy that winds its way through? take us on a little bit of a, <clears throat> of a recap. We talked about a number of themes that arise in that marvelous little book of Philippians. You remember, we talked about the happiness paradox. Remember what that was? That, that somehow, happiness being one of the things we desire most, but if we make that the exclusive goal of our lives, if If everything is targeted with bullseye accuracy towards pleasure, our our own happiness, somehow it's elusive and we miss it. The paradox is that if you aim for something else, you remember what the something else is? Joy. Meaning. If you aim for meaning, purpose, significance, if you aim for that, somehow, happiness manages to come alongside. If you aim for pleasure alone, you wind up missing them both. If you aim for significance, purpose, and meaning, then happiness comes as a byproduct. That that was the paradox. We talked about the happiness illusion, this idea that, that if the circumstances of our lives line up just right, career, family, relationships, bank account, automobile motorcycle. <laughs> I just better stop there. Uh, if it all orders it itself just right, then then happiness will be the inevitable result. But we know it's not the case. That sometimes there's a quick flash and then it disappears. In fact, uh, this weekend, wasn't, wasn't there a, a major lottery win in Quebec? 60, $60 million, something like that, the Lotto Max. One of the fascinating things to me is that whenever they were announcing the fact that this this sizable jackpot was coming up, the CBC, at least, did a little story about how elusive happiness is, about all the research that says that the winners of these jackpots, in fact, don't wind up being the kind of exuberantly joyful people that we would expect if you just got $60 million. Now, some of you are thinking, well... I'm happy to be part of the experiment. Give it, bring it on. And And it's not that there isn't any happiness. It's that it doesn't initiate lasting change. That steady undercurrent of joy doesn't flow from that momentary experience. We looked last week at this moral obligation that those who identify with Christ, who, who have the privilege of bearing his name, that obligation that we have to bring joy into the lives of those around us. That our joy isn't just about us. That our joy is about them, our family, our colleagues, our neighbors, and our neighborhood. And you remember we said that, that miserable Christians are one of the most compelling arguments against Christianity that the world will ever see. Beyond all the rational thought that that may be hurled in the face of the truth claims of Christianity, I think a face that is sour and consistently dire, especially when it claims to be talking about the good news, the gospel, is awful testimony. When people look in and all they see is, you begin to wonder how deeply the good news has penetrated it. is it really good and then last week again we we looked at the the rather shocking secret that joyful people have learned remember what it was that in the end lasting joy comes not through indulging ourselves not through self promotion and self advancement but through emptying ourselves through Dying to ourselves, through through laying down our life to such a degree that God gets to pick it up with us and give us something we never would have had before. New creation, new life, new birth, a, a new you. What I'd like to do today is look at one of the obstacles, uh, probably the number one obstacle to attaining a uh, persistent Life of uh, of of creative flourishing, joy. Uh, the reason I think that that is such such a rare and precious thing is that we carry with us so much baggage from the past. That that baggage accumulates in our life. It it jams up the circulation of our hearts it, it clutters up the the homes of our souls we just can't let go of the past the pain the grief suffering anger guilt all that stuff from yesterday how is it that we get free not just of the pain that's back there but of the power that what's back there continues to exercise in our lives today those old hurts those old habits old losses old patterns we don't we don't want those to prevent us from initiating new patterns in the future that God has for us. And, and to make it to make it personal, to make it relevant and real, I'm going to ask you for just a couple of minutes to try and identify something in your life. Make it concrete. Some part of your past, this week, this year, four decades ago, whatever it is, something that is preventing you from from experiencing joy in all of its fullness today. Maybe it's a divorce that you went through. Maybe a relationship that broke up and you're still hurting. You are betrayed, you feel bitter, and the bitterness just will not go away. Maybe you had a parent, difficult or, or absent, neglected you, or abusive. Or abusive. And you just, you cannot let it go. Maybe it's a relationship with a child and they they broke your heart. And they go on breaking your heart. Maybe you lost a job or you made a bad choice. Or or it's some habit, uh, addiction that you just keep falling back into. A boss, a, a business partner, you just you can't forgive what they did to you. or Or somebody that you've loved and and lost, and the grief will not go away. Maybe it's just this, that that you're afraid that you missed the great opportunity of your life, and ever since, you've just been drifting. But will you do that just for a minute? Think of that, that thing in your life, that, that one area that you would love to get past. And then we're going to talk about what it looks like to press past your past. Because here's the thing. We, you know this to be true. I know this to be true. There are people who trail with them such incredible baggage and it crippled them then and it cripples them now and they go limping forward into the future and they never recover from it. We say time heals all wounds. Rubbish. Time does not heal all wounds. Some wounds just leave people crippled. What we do with our time can be a source of incredible healing. But some people will just, they'll lug their past on forward day after day after day, and it's killing them. Let me give you a picture of this. Uh, This is not my story. It's a preacher's story, which means it's probably fake, right? Made up, but I thought it was kind of funny. Fred gets home after his uh, his Saturday morning golf match, looking weary, looking disdained. Uh, his wife asks, as, as she often does, "How how it went today?" I said, "You know what? It started great. It's a beautiful morning. We got to the first tee on time. we we had our We had our foursome. And we were playing great, and until we got to the tenth tee, and then Harry collapsed completely." clutching his chest, and despite all efforts at resuscitation, he died there, right on the, on the 10th tee. Catastrophic heart attack. And, uh, and what do you say when you hear news like that? His wife just offered the only word she could. I mean, that's, that's awful. You're not kidding, Fred said. The whole back nine, it was strike the ball, Drag Harry, strike the ball. It's awful, isn't it? I don't know. It is awful, but but it's awful when we live like that. When we wake up and drag our past, go to work, dragging our past. Pick our spouse, drag our past, enter a new relationship, drag our past. And you have to ask yourself at some point, do you really want to keep doing that? Do you really want to keep repeating habits and mistakes from your past? The people that hurt me way back there, do they get to continue hurting me now and tomorrow and and the next day? Do I really want to torture myself by always thinking how great my life would have been if only circumstances back there had turned out differently? And here's the key truth. You will never have the life that God wants you to have now. You'll never learn to navigate the present with joy if you don't learn how to deal with your past with grace and with truth. We're going to learn that lesson this morning from the Apostle Paul, from the Scriptures, as we have been over these past week. Paul wrote these words to the church at Philippi. Unbelievable words! I, I wish we had hours to unpack them. But this morning, I'm going to read them to you from this uh, this little wee New Testament, 1977, First Mississauga Company Boys Brigade, uh, inscribed in the bottom a. Uh, a life verse that was given to me when I was 10 years old. You know, we don't do that so much. Maybe we ought to. To be able to speak into somebody's life and say, here is a portion, a, a, a glistening jewel from God's word that I want to give to you. And I hope that it will, it will stay with you through the course of all your days as a reminder that there is truth and there is blessing, there is hope. Here is, here is a life verse. Well, I get to read my life verse with you this morning. It just so happens that's where we are in the book of Philippians. And So if you have your Bibles, I'm going to invite you to open them with me to Philippians chapter 3. We're going to look at three verses, verses 12 through 14. Now I'm going to try and do it with 50-year-old eyes and... Five-point font. So bear with me. But here's what Paul wrote. Not that I've already obtained this. He says. Not that I've already arrived at my goal. I'm not perfect, Paul says. But this I do. I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. And brothers and sisters, I don't consider myself yet to have attained it. But this one thing I do. Forgetting what's behind Straining forward to what's ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize of the high calling of God, the calling heavenward in Christ Jesus. A great verse. It's been mine now for for 40 years. I mean, Paul's saying, you, you get the thrust of his argument, here's my past, here's what's behind me, but here's my goal. This is everything bright and beautiful that's in front of me. And the person that God wants me to become and, and the life that God wants me to lead and the contribution that, that he has for me to make and the relationship that he wants me to have. And I'm not going to let what's back here wreck what's up here. Every night when I go to bed, I'm just going to let it go. Every morning when I wake up, I'm going to press on all day. I will press on. Here's this one thing that I will do. I will choose the power of God and not the power of the past as the guiding force of my life. Today and tomorrow and every day until it's my last day. And I get to choose. It's my choice. And I choose to allow God to take whatever nightmare, hellish part of my story back here that was handed to me and let God write a new ending. And I'm going to form, Paul says, this unshakable resolve that sin and darkness don't get to win in my life. This one thing, he said, forgetting everything that's back there and straining forward every cell in my being, straining forward on the way to what lies ahead. I'm going to press on, pressing on always towards the goal, the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Some churches that would say Amen when they heard Paul say something like that. <laughs> all the way from New Lisker. Thanks, Bob. What's amazing to me is how many people just never get around to making the choice. And it's not that they choose to be miserable, it's just they they don't really make any choices at all. They they just kind of drift. And they think as they allow themselves to drift, that maybe one day they'll wake up and it'll be different. Yes, I've been a victim of all this stuff in the past. And and if I just drift into the future, someday the regret will be gone. Someday the grief will be diminished. Someday it'll just all get healed. Paul says, I would never do that. This one thing, if I don't get anything else right, Paul suggests, this one thing I'm going to do, I will not be chained to my past. I'm going to forget everything that's behind. It's gone. I'm going forward to what God has for me. Now, this is really important. If you have your notes, you can turn to them now. When Paul is using that word forget, what do you think he means? And this isn't magic. This isn't a time machine. The past doesn't get erased. The past is, is still the past. God doesn't erase the past, but God redeems it. The reality is, you know, if we, if we don't reflect on what's back there, if we don't learn from it, we never really get past it. To get past the past, we have to, we have to be able to, to take what's there And apply it here in order to arrive there. When you think about the past, the present, the future, there's this one constant. It's you. Have you ever noticed that? How you just keep showing up? (laughs) This is deep wisdom. You can't can't buy this. But you are the one constant in your own story. The past, the present, the future. If you cannot learn about yourself based on what happened back there, well then we just tend to drift into repetition, right? So you're you're onto your second marriage and all of a sudden the same stuff that began to disable you in your first marriage, those patterns, they begin to settle into play again. You're you're constantly continually lonely because you've never had a chance to face up to the choices that you make. Why, why can't I form lasting friendships? People have the same cycle of financial problems in their lives because they never actually stop and honestly ask, what's this need to keep spending? What does that say about the place of money in my life? There's this statement in the book of Proverbs. Great statement. You'll love this, young people. From Proverbs 26, it says, as a dog returns to its vomit... So a fool returns to their folly. Sounds like it was written by a grade seven. Actually, go home, um, do it in calligraphy, and put it in your diet. No, don't put it in your dining room. That'd be awful. But you get the sense of it, right? You sense the the idea that we just we keep going back to the same folly. Why would you do that? Forgetting doesn't mean I refuse to think about the past because it makes me feel bad. A lot of time people will confuse grace with just, I don't want to feel bad anymore. It means I refuse to permit what's back there yesterday from pursuing spiritual growth today. This one thing I do, my past will inform me, but it will not deform me. My past can educate me, but it will will not devastate me. What I'd like you to do is, you still have it in your head, right? You're still awake. I'm I'm looking for those faces, right? No miserable Christians. Uh, That event in your past, I'd like you to locate it, if you will, on, we're going to call it the circle of bad. Uh, These are bad things. By and large, the bad things that are in our lives, in our past, you could categorize in one of three ways. Or it could be some intermingling of the three. But here's the first broad category. There are things in our past that we could say, this is just, this is my bad. That's on me. Uh, that was entirely my doing, my choices, uh, my my poor conduct. This was about me. So it's my bad. But maybe it's not that. Maybe it's not my bad. Maybe it's your bad. Maybe this is something that you did to me. I didn't deserve it, and it hurt. And I'm carrying forward that hurt and that bitterness and that resentment. It could be my bad. It could be your bad. But you know, there are things that happen in our lives that aren't my fault, that aren't your fault. They just sort of, they're just bad. My bad, your bad, and then just bad. It just happened. Let's start with my bad, if you will the things in the past that we want to forget, but they're actually our fault. Forgetting these things, moving past them, means there's a certain level of acknowledgement and learning that, that has to happen. The Bible has a great word for it, where there is my bad, the emotional response is usually guilt, and the biblical response is repentance. In repentance, I ask God, I said, God, I need you to help me do a fearless Moral inventory of my life. It takes fearlessness to face up to my bad. And if you want a scripture, here it is from Psalm 139. You know this, many of you. Search me and know me, O God. Know my heart. Know all of my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me. What is it? What's the sin that keeps you from becoming the very best self that god wants you to be the king james had a great word for this he called it the besetting sin of our life not a great word besetting kind of like besetting you crouching in the darkness yeah what is the besetting sin of your life for me it's helping around the house too much it's yeah yeah For me, it's it's lying. Yeah. Yeah. For me, actually, it's selfishness. I I realize I am at the deepest place in my heart, unchecked. I am a deeply selfish person. That the long journey of my life in discipleship has become the journey to overcoming my own selfish desires. But whatever it is, Need to be able to ask God say, "Will you help me see the area of my life, the besetting sin of my life to to feel about it the way I need to feel in the moment, whatever anguish or sorrow, to see it the way that you see it, but then, as I take it to you in repentance, will you will you wash it away and it turns out that that I need to do this pretty regularly. I don't know about you, but there's there's seldom a day that goes past when I don't need to, to be able to say, God, what did I do yesterday? Uh, I mean, I know some of this stuff, but there's other stuff I don't, I don't even know. What did I do? What do I need to feel? What, what do you need to reveal to me about the sins of the day? So the point is, there are things in our lives, things in our past, that are just the result of our own bad choices, bad behaviors. It's my bad. And the only way to get past My bad is that fearless moral inventory, repentance. And it takes a lot of courage, a lot of humility. Paul would say that this is the key to moving ahead. The ability to say, that's not just out there. I'm the kind of person who does that. I'm the kind of person who lies. I'm the kind of person who can be cruel, who hoards. That's me. And I want to confess it. And, and I want to pray that you will help me be a different kind of guy. I don't want to do that anymore. Whoever I've hurt, I, I want to give back to them. I want to make it right. I want to lay the burden of my guilt in the one place where it really belongs, right at the foot of the cross where it can be healed and I can receive mercy and then I start again. That's, that's how you begin to get past my bad. But what about this other category? What about, what about your bad? Uh, those times when, when you've injured me, and I just keep carrying that forward. Somebody hurt you, somebody cheated on you, bullied you, insulted, disrespected, whatever it is. And the result is, is anger, right? Resentment. Even rage. Have you noticed in our society, we're a polite civil society, we're Canadians, but have you noticed that increasingly it feels like there's this undercurrent of rage simmering away? Some people have, have called this the age of rage, where we're just below the boiling point. I was cycling through Halton Hills yesterday. These winding roads, largely abandoned, and as I was cycling along, minding my own business happily, a a truck came up beside me, and and they paused long enough, slowed down to be able to hurl some insults about how ridiculous it would be to be out on a bicycle on a day like this. I remember watching once at an intersection when, because the car in front of us didn't take off when the light turned green with Ferrari-like precision, the truck driver behind them actually took their coffee cup filled with coffee and hurled it at the back windshield. I mean, there, there is this seething undercurrent of resentment in our culture. The Bible also says there's a way to get past that. The biblical word for it is forgiveness. Because if, if, the, if the negative effect of my bad is guilt, and, and if the response is repentance the effect of holding on to all of these feelings of being injured is resentment. And the solution to resentment is forgiveness. That doesn't necessarily mean you re-enter a relationship with somebody who's hurt you. That all depends on their willingness to, to be part of healing everything that went wrong in the relationship. But it does mean, I'm going to let go of my desire for revenge. See, it, it, in resentment... Our minds, I guess, we just get filled up with this one gnawing thought. I'm going to pay you back. I'm going to get even. A car speeds out in front of you at the intersection. Isn't there a part of you that wants to hit the accelerator on the next straightaway to get out in front of them again? I'm getting even. You are not getting ahead of me. (laughs) Lots of people never learn to do this. Maybe for you, getting past your past means that there is somebody in your life that you need to forgive, and that's going to be hard. Maybe you've got to go home this afternoon and, I don't know, you start writing a letter or an email. Here are all the ways that, that I've been hurt and I've suffered, and I've been holding on to this stuff, and I don't want to hold on to it anymore. Maybe you send it, maybe you don't. I don't know. Maybe it's a conversation that you need to have this week. Hey, can we get together for coffee? There's some stuff I've been holding on to for too long. Maybe just start by talking to God and asking for help. Apostle Paul says, Colossians 3, that you forgive each other, especially when you have grievances, that you forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. That's really important. We don't forgive somebody because they deserve it. And when you forgive somebody, it doesn't mean that their inexcusable action suddenly becomes excusable, that what was once unjust is now just. When you forgive, what you're really doing is saying, I want out of the prison of resentment. I want to stop drinking this poison of bitterness that is just corroding my own soul. And one of the best exercises, it turns out, to be able to do that is to do exactly what Paul does there in Colossians. Remember how vividly God has forgiven you. Maybe getting past your past involves that tangible step of taking one more step down the forgiveness road. There's my bad and your bad, and then there's that third category. There is stuff that's just bad. And we've got to get past that too. If the result of my bad is guilt and the result of your bad is resentment or anger, I think the primary emotion associated with the bad stuff that is just bad, the primary emotion is regret. We look back at the past and we're obsessed with this one thought. If only, if only, if only I had been admitted to that school, if only I'd been given that job, if only I'd married that person, if only I hadn't married that person. What? It's, if only the disaster hadn't happened, if only the diagnosis hadn't been given, if only. And we set up this imaginary contrast between the life that we live right now and the life that we imagine would have existed if only this thing that was just bad hadn't happened. And even though it's unreal and untested and unfulfilling, we do this and we're crippled by it. They did a study on Olympic medal winners. and No surprises when they went to the gold medal winners. Elation, happiness, joy, top of the podium, this is what I trained my whole life for. They went to bronze medal winners and, and they, boy, just to be on the podium was a big deal for most of them. The surprise was the silver medals. Because inside was this inner narrative If only I had been a tenth of a second faster. If only I had been a little quicker off the buzzer. If only I trained a little harder in the lead up to the games. If only. Even though they ranked higher than the bronze medalists on the podium, emotionally they sat lower because they were crippled by this if only attitude. What's the way through? And the Bible's solution to regret is hope, is a mindset of hope. The way past a past that, that is permeated with regret is the belief that God has a future for us that outshines anything that's back there. And I don't want to diminish what is back there, because some of us are trailing a past that is nothing less than traumatic. And it would cripple even the strongest of people. And we know as we look at people who live through trauma, that those who emerge, say they emerge in, well, usually one of three ways. There are some people who will emerge from trauma, but they never really fully emerge. They will walk with a limp for the rest of their life. It, it will hobble them. Something in their lives just never completely recovers from it. There are others who will emerge from trauma and they'll get back to a steady state. Uh, Maybe not the same as before, but a new normal. And they will be functioning again as they were before. And then there's a third group, very rare group. But there are those who go through even the most awful of devastating experiences in their lives, and they emerged stronger. Think Joseph in the Bible. Sold into slavery by his brothers. I mean, literally in a pit in the ground, not knowing what the future held. Languishing under the service of a foreign government, and yet still eventually rising to a place where he becomes the source of salvation for his family and his people. He emerged strong. Think David taking on Goliath. Think think Daniel in the lion's den. Incredible adversity, and yet they come out stronger. Think Paul. Remember this story of Paul? In chains, in Rome. Remember, he writes Philippi, this book about joy, in chains. And what's he doing? Singing. And everybody's listening in. 10,000 reasons. No, I don't know whether they're singing that, but it would be a good one. And here's what was most important to Paul, that his hope wasn't in his own ability to just survive. And it wasn't even just in his ability to recover or persist in his own strength. It was a fourth path, a path that so far has been taken by only one, but it, it remains open for you and I. Taken by a man named Jesus who suffered. I mean, boy, did he suffer. He suffered. He suffered. He suffered with an intensity that I think we will never know. And yet on the third day came resurrection. Paul says, I'm betting the farm on that. That single event changes the way I'll look at everything else in my life. And so Paul is able to say this. I want to know Christ, he says. Yes, to know the surpassing power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings. An amazing phrase, you know. I want to be crucified with Christ and know the power of his resurrection. And Paul says, this is available to you. It changes everything. Elsewhere, Paul says, and this really is the summit. This this is the John 3.16 of all of Paul's writings. He says, and this we know. not, Not we just think or we hope. This we know that in all things... God is at work for the good of those who love Him and who have been called according to His good purpose. Boy, Mike is sharp on the Scriptures. He's got them up there by heart. In all things... Not just in some things, not in some circumstances, not just in in some situations. He says, in all things, whoever you are, whatever you've been through, whatever you're dragging behind you, whatever it is that you've done, God is not done with you, and he is at work bringing about his good purposes. And therefore, Paul says, this one thing I do, I will know Christ. I won't be trapped back there. I'll be found in Christ, in this magnificent Christ, in this inimitable Christ. And I, I want to serve this Christ. I want to allow Christ to make me the person he wants me to be, to live with him, to, to suffer with him, to die with him, to be resurrected with him. Don't be trapped. this one thing i do forgetting what is past straining forward to what is ahead i press on press on towards the goal to win the prize for which god has called me heavenward in christ jesus do we still believe that's true that that is that's just true that that's you that's your future I'm going to pray right now. I'm going to invite the worship team to the stage and ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. But I'm going to invite us to to make this prayer happen, not just in our thoughts, but with our bodies. Sometimes it's good to use our bodies in prayer. So let me invite you, as you're seated, to to rest your arms on your lap, but to clench your fists. Clench them up tight. And as you hold them tight, you feel your fingernails pressing into the palm of your hand. I want you to think about that part of your past that has you locked up. That guilt you can't escape. That hurt that you cannot forgive. That loss that you cannot forget. And you know that's just going to cramp up your soul. Same way that your hands are all cramped up. Would you just pray this? God, would you help me get past my past? Now open up your hands. Open them up wide, palms facing up. Open them up and let it go. Lay it at the cross. You may have to do this a hundred times. Do it a hundred times. You may have to do it 10,000 times. Do it 10,000 times. God, our Heavenly Father, would you help us to forget what is behind as we strain forward to what lies ahead. Press on. Press on towards our life with you. We pray it in the name of Jesus, who through his crucifixion is Lord over the past, and through his resurrection is Lord over the future. In his name we pray. Amen.